Good morning and good afternoon. uh, Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. We're here. It's Monday and we've got to wake up Rod. So he's already here. I can't hear him because I've muted myself. I don't hear you. Uh, (laughs) Intro executed. All right, man. I have looked up zero headlines. Your headline list. Yeah, headlines. <laughs> Headlineless, I am. Also, uncomfortable. Also, uncomfortable and headlineless. So, do you have any headlines yet? I do. All right. Yep, my three stories ready to go. On before coffee, paralyzed Swedish woman in London cannot return home due to bureaucracy. Facebook parent Meta hit with record fine for transferring European user data to U.S. Demolition of shantytown on French Indian Ocean, island of Mayotte begins. Spying in Mexico strikes a new victim. President's ally. Greek center-right party falls short of majority in general election. And Ukraine war news. Bakhmut, not occupied by Russia, says Deviant Zelensky. On today, May 22nd, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. All right. For our first news story... Let's go into... I don't know how many weeks ago we talked about it. We were talking about how they were trying to... Yeah, what is it called? Uh, Deport somebody who doesn't have any British uh, ties, right? Their family has British citizenship, but their, their mother didn't. And they were trying to deport her out of the country because you don't belong here. Go back to your other country because that's the anti-immigration that's going on in the UK. I believe this is a different story about a Swedish woman left paralyzed after a catastrophic bike accident who has been stranded in London hospital for more than a year after efforts to repatriate her to her home country failed due to Stockholm bureaucracy. The situation described by her husband as shameful comes following a similar case in which authority... The similar case we talked about before, in which authorities threatened to deport a 74-year-old British woman with Alzheimer's because of strict adherence to Brexit red tape. Karen, 52, a polling company executive, had been living in London for more than 25 years when she sustained a severe brain injury from hitting her head on the pavement after coming off her bike last March. Her injuries are so severe that she has spent the past year being moved from one intensive care unit in one hospital to another requiring a series of life-saving surgeries and procedures. She's now in a high-dependency unit in London Hospital, but her husband, Tom, wants to take her home to Sweden where he and Karen and their 12-year-old son could be close to her mother and three siblings. But because she has lived out of the country for so long, she has fallen off Sweden's official population register and cannot be considered eligible for care in the healthcare system. Her husband has been told he, he can be present. He can present documents to get her relisted as resident in Sweden on her behalf, but only when his wife, who cannot walk or talk, is physically in the country. It's a shattering catch-22 situation. The NHS cannot transfer her to the Swedish healthcare system because the hospitals there cannot receive a patient who is not on the population register. Families, local MP, Labour's 
Helen Hayes, who has been supporting them since January, described the case as shocking. She has written to Europe's affairs minister, Leo Doctory, urging him to seek a meeting between UK and Sweden's officials with the hope that both countries can work together outside of existing protocols. Sweden's refusal to allow an exception up to the rules for a vulnerable citizen has shocked Karen's family and her husband believes that many other immigrants emigrants from Sweden will be unaware of the consequences of falling off the population register. Tom has dedicated his life to caring for his wife, even writing to 349 MPs at the Riksdag in Sweden. He got a reply from only one who expressed his sympathy but said he was unable to resolve the situation. Tom has also wrote to the European Commission and the United Nations Office of the High Commission of Human Rights arguing that his wife was being discriminated against as a disabled person. They too have been unable to break the impasse. Swedish tax authorities confirmed the rules saying that Swedish national, national could be relisted on the registry by a carer once the citizen was in the country. An FCDO spokesperson said, we are supporting the family of a British-Swedish dual national. Things have been changed as for the request of the family. So, basically, you've got a person who's trying... Sweden is still holding strong to their... Uh, what is it called? Oh, you're disabled. We don't want you in our country. And the same problem happened with the, the woman with Alzheimer's, right? Oh, you're disabled. We don't want us in our, want you in our want you in our country. Right? So, even though she was a born Swedish citizen, she's not allowed to return back to the country she was born in because she had a fatal act well not a fatal accident she had an accident which caused her to right. become paralyzed which is you know not looking good for sweden that's all i'm saying a word for it in any language okay facebook parent meta or meta is that how I pronounce meta hit with record fine for transferring european user data to us probably a boring story but here it goes <laughs> this is from the AP, uh, Evan Kelvin Chan. Kelvin. The European Union slapped Meta with a record 1.3 billion privacy fine in order it to stop transferring user data across the Atlantic by October. The latest salvo in a decade long case sparked by U.S. cyber snooping fears. The penalty fine of 1.2 billion euros from Ireland's Data Protection Commission is the biggest since the EU's strict data privacy regime took effect five years ago, surpassing Amazon. 746 million euro penalty. 2021 for data protection violations. The Irish watchdog met as the lead privacy regulator in a 27 nation block because the Silicon Valley's tech giant European headquarters is based in Dublin. Meta, which had previously warned that the services for its users in Europe could be cut off, vowed to appeal and ask courts to immediately put a decision on hold. There is no immediate disruption of Facebook in Europe, the company said. The decision is flawed, unjustified, and sets a dangerous precedent for, precedent for the countless other companies transferring data between EU and US. Nick Clegg, Meta's president of global and of Global End Affairs and Chief Legal Officer Jennifer News said in the statement. And yet, it's yet another twist in the legal battle that has begun in 2013 when Australian law Austrian lawyer 
and privacy activist Max Schrems filed a complaint about Facebook's handling of its data or data following former national security agent contractor Ed Snowden's revelations about U.S. cyber snooping. The saga or saga as in has highlighted the clash between Washington and Brussels over the difference between Europe's strict view on data privacy and comparatively lax regime in U.S., which lacks federal privacy law. An agreement covering EU-U.S. data transfer notes that the privacy shield was struck down in 2020 by the EU's top court, which said it didn't do enough to protect residents from U.S. government's electronic prying. That left another tool of government data transfers stock legal contracts. Irish Irish regulators initially ruled that Meta didn't need to be fined because it was acting in good faith and using them to move data across the Atlantic, but it was overruled by the EU's top panel of data privacy authorities last month, a decision that Irish watchdog confirmed Monday. Meanwhile, Brussels and Washington signed an agreement last year which reworked privacy shield that Meta could use, but the pact is awaiting a decision from European officials on whether it adequately protects data privacy. EU instructions have been, institutions have been reviewing the agreement and blocks lawmakers this month called for improvements, saying the safeguards aren't strong enough. Meta warned its latest earnings report that without legal basis for data transfers, it will be forced to stop offering its products and services in Europe which would materially and adversely affect their business, financial condition, and results in operation. The social media company might have had to carry out costly and complex revamp of its operation if it's forced to stop shipping user data across the Atlantic. Meta has a fleet of 21 data centers, according to its website, but 17 of them are in the United States. Three are in Europe, nations of Denmark, Ireland, and Sweden, and others in Singapore. Other social media giants are facing pressure over their data practices. TikTok has tried to soothe Western fears about the Chinese-owned short video sharing apps. Potentially cybersecurity risks with 1.5 billion project to store U.S. user data on Oracle server. So yes, these social media companies are storing your data. Europe's trying to do something, the United States trying to do something, but they're only doing about foreign competitors, apparently. So there's your tech news for the morning. I hope. Uh, I got more tech news, it'll break, it'll break. I'll get it right here to the <laughs> tech den over here in the front yard. I wish I could say it was news, but I are, I'm already aware that my privacy does not exist anymore, and it hasn't existed for years, but that's just me. It's nice that people want to fight to keep their privacy, but I've already, already given up. I've already expected nothing from any corporation or government body. Well, I got a, I got a government security clearance in 1986, and I have resigned myself to the fact I have no privacy since then. Yeah, so we're in the same, we're in the same boat. Speaking of boats, speaking of boats, demolition of the shantytown in the French Indian Ocean on the (laughs) island of Mayotte. Authorities on the French Indian Ocean island of Mayotte have begun demolishing homes in operation against substandard housing and illegal migration. France has developed hundreds of police officers and gendarmes in Mayotte, the country's 
poorest department since April to prepare a major security measure called Operation Wambushu Take Back in the local language. Thinkers started destroying the sheet metal shacks in the Talus 2 settlement in Majikavo area at about 3 at 7.30 a.m. on Monday. Gendarmes wielding crowbars entered homes to check no one was inside before the demolition began. AFB journalists reported while the electricity and water supply was cut. The operation is due to last all week. Sai Livia Duas, the local official in charge of the reducing illegal housing, told reporters, 135 dwellings will be raised out of the 1,000 substandard homes slated for destruction on Mayo Day. The demolition of Talos 2 was originally scheduled to take place on the 25th of April, but was suspended by a court decision. Two subsequent legal rulings then authorized the French state to proceed. Associations have denounced the Operation Wambushu as a brutal measure violating the rights of migrants, but local elected officials and many residents have supported it. The operation initially triggered clashes between youths and security forces in Mayotte and fueled political tension with the Comoros, with, mo- with most of the French island's undocumented migrants coming from the neighboring archipelago. Of Mayotte estimated 350 50,000 residents have to do not possess the French nationality. Here's the question for you. Why don't you just give the island back to the people it belongs to? Why the hell does France still have an island in the Indian Ocean that it rules over? Just go away. Just leave. Greedy <laughs> bastards. Okay, that was a short story. That's all I have to say. Sorry. Let migrants be migrants. There's no such thing as illegal migration. Fuck you and your story. <laughs> Okay. Uh, uh, more tech news, which just came in off the wire. Pretend we have a wire. Spying in Mexico strikes a new victim, the president's ally. While looking at abuses by armed forces, the country's top human rights official was targeted with, Pe- with Pegasus, the world's most notorious spyware, the Times found. That's just from the New York Times, obviously. Natalie Kitteroff and Ronan Bergman. He's a legitimate friend of a president, a political ally for decades who is now the government's top human rights official and he has been spied on repeatedly. Alejandro Encinas, Mexico's undersecretary for human rights, was targeted with Pegasus, the world's most notorious spyware, while investigating abuses by the nation's military, according to four people who spoke with him about the hack and an independent forensic analysis that confirmed it. Mexico has long been shaken by spying scandals, but this is the first confirmed such case of a senior member of the administration, let alone someone so close to the president being surveilled by Pegasus in more than a decade of the spy tools used in the country. The attacks on Mr. Encinitas, which have not been reported previously, seriously undercut President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador's pledge to end what has been called an illegal spying of the past. They're also, oh, there's a cute little squirrel of him. <laughs> I'm a dog. They're also a clear sign of how Free-willing and surveillance of Mexico has become a no one. Not even the president's allies appear to be off limits. 
Pegasus is licensed only to government agencies, while there is no definitive proof which one carried out the hack of Mr. Encinitas' phone. The military is the only entity in Mexico that has the access to the spyware, according to five people familiar with the contracts. In fact, the Mexican military is targeting more cell phones with the technology than any government agency in the world. Mr. Encinita, Encinas has long been at odds with the armed forces. He and his team have been accused of them involved in more than mass disappearing of 43 students, one of the worst human rights violations in recent country's recent history. His cell phone has been infected with multiple times as recently as last year while he was leading a government truth commission about the abduction, giving the hackers unfettered access to his entire digital life, according to the four people who had discussed it with him. Pegasus was wildly was wielded against some of Mexico's most prominent journalists and democracy advocates several years ago, igniting an international scandal that strained previous administration. Now, new cases have emerged in recent months confirming that the spyware has targeted human rights defenders and local journalists during Mr. Lopez Arbador's tenure as well. Still, the attacks on Mr. Encinas are unlike any of Mexico has witnessed. Someone as close to the president as Alexandro Encinas is targeted. It's clear there's no democratic control over the spy tool. And Edward, Edward, said Edward Bojorquez, the director of Mexican chapter of Transparency International, an anti-corruption group. There is no checks and balances, he said. The military is a superpower with zero democratic oversight. Mr. Encinas did not respond to multiple requests for comment. The Mexican president and the Mexican defense ministry did not respond to requests for comment either. Pegasus can infect your phone without any sign of intrusion and extract everything on it, every email, text message, photo, calendar, appointment. It can watch through your cell phone's camera and listen through its microphone, even if your phone appears to be turned off. People who spoke with Mr. Encinas about the hack said he learned the details of the infections after it was confirmed by Citizens Lab, the watchdog group based in University of Toronto. They conducted a forensic analysis of his phone that has not yet been made public. The group also found evidence that Pegasus has infiltrated the phones of two other government officials who work with Mr. Encinas who have been involved in inquiries and the rights violations by the armed forces, three people knowledge of the hack said. Citizens Lab declined comment. The Israeli manufacturer of Pegasus NSO Group opened an investigation into a cyber attacks on human rights defenders in Mexico after recent reports by the New York Times about the military's use of the spyware, according to a person familiar with the NSO compliance investigations. The company also began looking into the attacks on Mr. Encinas and two of his colleagues after the Times asked about those hacks, person said. In a statement, NSO said it does not operate individual Pegasus systems, but the investigations are all credible allegations of misuse, adding past NSO investigations have resulted in the termination of multiple contracts reporting regarding the improper use of our technology. The hacking has put Mr. Encinas and the president in a tough position. In early March, Mr. Encinas met with Mr. Lopez Oprado to talk about the spying and whether to go public with it, according to several people briefed in the conversation. Mr. Encinas has kept quiet about his Pegasus infection since, infection since they said. Over the summer, he and his team published an explosive report about the 43 students' disappearance that accused the military of playing a role calling the events a crime of the state. 
Then questions emerged about the evidence and Mr. Asinas came under intense scrutiny, especially after he admitted in an interview with the Times that key pieces of the inquiry had been invalidated. Lawyers represented the military officials implicated in this case all for his resignation and sooner for falsified evidence. And then of course they hacked him. I'm sorry, I added that. Throughout Mr. Lopez's abroad, throughout Mr. Lopez Abrado has stood by Mr. Encinas, calling him an exemplary public servant in whom we all have our utmost confidence. All right, man, there's several, several paragraphs, but we don't have 45 minutes to delve in the history of Mexico, <laughs> history of Chapultepec, you know, the, yeah. the Mayan Empire. We won't go into all that. All right, your story. <laughs> the Mayan Empire. All right. Update on the Greek election that I believe happened on Sunday. Yes. Center-right party of Greece's incumbent prime minister, Kyriakos Mitos. Mitsotakis has clinched a 40% of the vote in Sunday's election, comfortably seeing off the challenge of the leftist main opposition Syriza party, but falling short of an absolute majority. New Democracy was leading with a 20-point margin, 40.8% over Syriza, which was trailing at just over 20.1%. A difference rarely seen since the collapse in 1974 of the military rule. Even Crete, a socialist bastion, the right-wing party had fared unexpectedly well. It appears that new democracy will have a very important victory, said Dejorios Gero Petrus, a former state minister of the Mitsotaki's closest colleagues. Under a new electoral system of proportional representation introduced under the former prime minister and Syriza's leader, Alexei Despiras, the victor had to secure about 46% of the vote to win an outright majority of the 151 seats in the 300-member parliament. That, for any party, had been an impossible feat. With 96% of the vote counted, smaller parties, including MERA25, headed by the country's former finance minister, Yanis Varoufakis failed to pass the 3% threshold to get into the KKE. The Communist Party came in with 7.2% of the vote, doing especially well in urban centers. Senior officials hailing the outcome as proof of the party's ability to put up stiff opposition to the neoliberal policies it has said are bringing Greek to its, Greece, Greeks to its knees. The inconclusive result will lay the ground for a fresh ballot in July if, as expected, efforts from a form from a coalition government breakdown. The second round poll expected on 2nd of July will take place under a semi-proportional representation system that would grant the first party 50 bonus seats if they won 40% of the vote. On Monday, as protocol demands, Greece's president, Katarina Sakelaarpopoulou, will hand Mitotakis a three-day mandate to explore the options of forming a coalition. Aid said that the 55-year-old leader who appeared in ebullient mode, mood, an ebullient mood as he arrived at New Democracy headquarters in Athens would prefer a repeat poll with Sunday's results, parting his view that a single-party government was more than possible. But shouldn't be a thing. I disagree. I'm all for coalition governments and not for single party. In an address on Sunday night, the Prime Minister said he was proud and moved by the result. Hope has beaten pessimism. And unity has beaten division. 
Mitsotaki said, I pledge to work even harder. People want a strong government with a four-year mandate so that we can cover the lost ground that separates us from Europe. A government is needed that really must believe in reform so that it can implement them. Throughout the electoral campaign, he has insisted the country's interests could only be served with a strong majority. Governments that would enable him to press ahead with his reform program during a second four-year term. If, as it looks likely, Mitsotaki's hands the mandate back to Sakela Ropolu, Teresa, in theory, will follow suit in trying to form a coalition government. Although the results will not, did not suggest a leftist coalition would be arithmetically feasible, even if left parties could find the consensus. So, they want to put their parties together, but they're not sure if that would even work, because one's center-right and one is a leftist party, which, in a way, would bring the center-right government more center. Yeah. Uh, if, if we remember correctly, last week we were talking about how the youth vote was trying to get the leftist government in, I believe. So they failed by a very small margin, because, like, as they said, they, they didn't completely fail. Were they... They succeeded in making sure that he didn't become a one-party government, right? They need to make a coalition because they didn't reach—they re didn't reach the percentage they needed to reach to become a single party. Yeah, they call them super parties yeah. usually. So they succeeded in making sure that the new government is a coalition government, and since they're that offering to co collide with the with the leftist party, the youth vote might get what they want that's all um, yeah, the center left means something different in europe than it no, does yeah. i mean center center in europe is basically left in america so <laughs> say exactly like what do you mean everybody's gonna have a gun okay and that's the end of right. my story okay and ukraine war and also g7 news defiant vladimir Zelensky has insisted bog Bakhmut is not occupied by Russia after a Moscow-backed mercenary group claimed control. UK's president was speaking during a scene-stealing visit to Hiroshima, Japan for the G7 summit. Wagner found Wagner, which is this mercenary group, founder Yagvene Prigozhin had earlier claimed victory in Bakhmut, but Military, but Ukrainian military sources told the BBC they still had control of a handful of buildings in the outskirts of the city. At a press conference on the final day of the summit, Mr. Zelensky refused to provide precise details, but he said the city, where the war's longest and bloodiest battle has raged since August, was not occupied by Russia as of today. There are, there are two or three interpretations of those words, he added, after earlier confusion about his remarks on the status of the city. It was a video posted by Saturday night that Wagner's Prasogin Pergozin claimed his fighters who have led the Russian assault on Bakhmut will full control of the city. Mr. Zelensky compared Bakhmut to Hiroshima, which was hit by atomic bomb in World War II, promising a similar reconstruction of his country. Earlier on Sunday, he visited the Hiroshima Peace Memorial Park with Japanese Prime Minister 
Fumio Koshida, whose relatives died when the United States dropped the bomb in the city in 1945, Mr. Zelensky laid a wreath for those who were killed in the attack. After meeting with Kashida, he strode onto the auditorium at the Peace Park to speak to reporters. As he entered, one journalist shouted from the back of the room, Slava Ukraina, glory to Ukraine. Mr. Zelensky nodded to acknowledge her. He drew several parallels between Hiroshima and Ukraine, saying that pictures of Japanese city in ruins after bombing remind me of present-day Bakhmut. He vowed there would be similar reconstruction and recovery in Ukraine. Now Hiroshima has rebuilt their city, and we dream of rebuilding our cities. There had earlier been some confusion about the status of Bakhmut, but after Mr. Zelensky said, today Bakhmut is in our hearts, his office later clarified he had not said that the city had fallen, but Russian fighters at least control most of the Bakhmut. Wagner mercenaries have concentrated their effort there for months, and their relentless, costly attack of sending in waves of men seems to have gradually eroded Kyiv's resistance. Ukrainian forces have resisted calls for tactical withdrawal at this point, but say that if they did pull out, it would be a pirate victory for the Russians. Mr. Zelensky also alluded to his troops continuing to carry out important work in the area. Commander of Ukraine's ground forces later said Kyiv's forces were making advances on the outskirts of Bakhmut and were getting closer to technical encirclement of the city. General Alexander Sersiki added that he had visited the troops on the front line. The Institute for the Study of War appeared to cooperate. General Sersiki's claims, writing in the ground report that the G-located footage showed Ukrainian, Ukrainian brigades striking unspecified Russian forces south of Klitschiva, seven kilometers south of Bakhmut. Analysts say the city is a little strategic value of Moscow, but its capture would be symbolic victory for Russia after the longest battle of their war in Ukraine so far. However, the Russian when Russia fought fiercely to claim the cities of Severodonetsk and Lyshansk last summer, Ukraine soon reclaimed swaths of territory elsewhere. It will no doubt be hoping to use similar strategy for an anticipated counteroffensive this year. In a separate piece of analysis, the ISW said Wagner had only been able to continue its sustained attack on Bakhmak City after Russia regulatory for regular forces took responsibility for the flanks. And here we are in the general minutia of the everyday battle and war, trying to figure out who's taking this city block, so forth and so on, which that news lasts about a week and it's completely irrelevant. Your story. <laughs> yeah, I saw a funny meme uh, last night that was basically like, I don't know if you've seen this one. It's, it's a pretty old one. It's a pretty old meme, but it's a close up of a guy getting a medal putting it in his mouth and then you know spraying the champagne and going yeah i'm the victor and then you zoom out from that picture and there's about 20 other people on different podiums higher than him right and they were basically saying getting bakhmut is like winning 10th place right <laughs> like there's so many other things you have to do to get victory but people are acting like oh the russians won they've won now because they got one city you know, and then Zelensky saying they don't have one city. Stop acting like it's all over. 
Shut up, right? <laughs> it's not all over yet. After eight months of slogging through, they've taken most of the city. Wow. Congratulations. Hours. More years oh. then, I guess. <laughs> That's, I don't know. Mercenaries that had to do it, not your regular army. Yeah. So what do you do? Hired somebody to landscape your yard, you know? Yeah. You're right. Arms. You're, you hired Guido's uh, Human Clearing Service, or whatever they're called. Wagner Group. Yeah. My was the All right. In culture news, there goes my hero. Years after the sudden death of Taylor Hawkins, Foo Fighters announced a new drummer. The American rock band Foo Fighters has found a new drummer more than a year after the sudden death of drummer Taylor Hawkins, 50. In a live stream, it became clear that Josh Freese was chosen. Freese is a very experienced drummer who played in the band Devo and drummed on tours of Sting, Guns N' Roses, Nine Inch Nails, and among others. Including, uh, I think also Perfect Circle. Uh, what else? I saw, I saw some new listing. Offspring, Weezer, The Vandals, a lot of, a lot of... He's, he's a well-toured musician, okay? Freeze announced comes as no surprise. He briefly played with the band in September last year during two concerts that paid homage to Hawkins and knows other band members well. At the presentation of the new drummer yesterday, the well-known drummers Chad Smith, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Tommy Lee, Motley Crue, among others, first came into picture to mislead fans. However, they made all sorts of funny, petty statements like, I cut your poodle's hair. After that, it was seen that Freeze had already taken place behind the other Foo Fighters band members behind the drums. Uh. As most people know by now, the band Foo Fighters was founded in 1950, 1995 by Dave Grohl. He was the former drummer for the legendary garage band Nirvana that disbanded after the death of the frontman Kurt Cobain. Although Grohl mainly sings and plays guitar with the Foo Fighters, he has also played drums on the group's first two albums. I wouldn't even really even call them a group, it was just him by himself <laughs> for the first two albums. Only then was a permanent drummer found in Hawkins. The group became more su very successful and has won 15 prestigious Grammy Awards, among others. Last year, the group was represented in the top 2,000 with nine songs, with The Pretender at number 116 at the highest number. I still can't believe Pretender is that popular. Like, it's a great song, but I can't believe it's like their top, most popular song of all time. I thought it would be Everlong, but maybe I'm just an Everlong stan. Probably wasn't a single. Oh, maybe. Hawkins died last year in a hotel in Columbia where Foo Fighters were supposed to perform at a festival. The official cause of death is cardiac arrest. Further investigation also found traces of drugs and medicine, but whether they contributed to his death has not been disclosed. Hawkins had been battling battling a enlarged heart for some time. Also, he already had he already had a pre-existing condition towards probably cardiac arrest. Foo Fighters' first album since the death of Hawkins, but here we are all here we are will be released on June 2nd. Very sad, but also very happy to hear they're have replaced him so that they can keep going, I guess, because I I'm think I think Grohl's stance on death is to keep going. Don't let death stop you. Because, I mean, well, did it rock, once, so you can do it again. But, well, we've done this before, right? We talked about it before. Rock and roll shows employ a lot of people. Yeah. Not just, not just a band. Like, yeah. you figure the drummer alone probably has 15 people who's responsible for their jobs, right? Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it's like a, it's like a big corporation at some point. Mm-hmm. The Foo Fighters, Rolling Stones, every all these only bands. You know, why are they touring again? It's because everybody that depends on them for money is like, let's have another tour. It's been three years. <laughs> we spent all our money. Also, write a new album so I can right. so we can perform it. Yeah, yeah, not even necessary. Just get out there and tour. Get your, get your stuff. Out. Okay, something to say in history. 1913. Move things along. German dramatic com- composer Richard Wagner was born in Leipzig. Famous for being in the soundtrack for the Nazis. Wow. In 1844, American painter Mary Cassatt, who is especially known for impressionist works and intimate lives of contemporary women, was born in Allegheny, Allegheny City, Pennsylvania. It was in 1844. In 1849, future U.S. President Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln was granted a patent for a boat lifting device. He was the only U.S. president to have a patent. In 1885, French poet and novelist, dramatic dramatist Victor Hugo Hugo died at the age of 83 in 1939 Hitler of Germany and Mussolini of Italy signed the Pact of Steel a full military and political alliance between the two fascist countries Mexico entered World War II in this date in 1942 in declaring war on Germany, Germany Italy and Japan in 1960, one of the largest earthquakes on record struck southern coast of Chile, killing 5,700 people and creating a seismic sea waves that caused death and destruction in distant Pacific coastal areas, notably Japan and Hawaii. Remember, this is off the coast of Chile. An ocean away from Japan. Very far, yeah. 1972, Richard Nixon arrived in Moscow, the first U.S. president to visit the Soviet Union. 1992, American comedian Johnny Carson, considered by many the king of late-night television, made his final appearance on the host on The Tonight Show, and Bette Midler sang to him, and so forth. You are the wind beneath my wing. Everybody loves that song. 2011, until I sang it, 2011, one of the deadliest tornadoes in the U.S. struck Joplin, Missouri, which is horrible, killing 160 people. Wow. Missouri, of all places. Today's featured event. Roman Emperor Constantine I is baptized. On this day, 337, Constantine the Great, who had practiced Christianity since his youth and sparked growth into a world religion, became... On his deathbed, the first Roman emperor to be baptized in the Christian church. And also born on this day, birthday's birthday, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was born on May 22nd, 1859. Serbian tennis player Novak Djokovic was born in 1987. George Best, Irish-born football player, was born in 1946. Ed Kaczynski, it says here, American criminal. Who's the Unabomber? The Unabomber was born in 1942 on this day. You gotta support the Unabomber. Director, actor Lawrence Olivier, Sir Lawrence Olivier, was born on this day in 1907. And the author of the 
Sherlock Holmes novels. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was born in this day. We already in said that, but we said it again. Yeah. It's Arthur Conan Doyle. And what day is it? What day is it? Not too many days today. It is internationally being you day. So that's the easiest thing to do is be you. I can I can handle that by just going to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> National Solitaire Day. So get, wake up from your nap, take place in solitaire. And it's World Paloma Day, which is a, so it looks like some kind of fruity alcohol concoction. I'm not sure what a paloma is, but look, I know it's Spanish for bird. That's all I know. National Vanilla Pudding Day. So dip your bird in some pudding. Oh, National gross. Musical Instrument Day. So. <laughs> And National Maritime Day is May 22nd. There you are. That's all of them. Not too many. They used them up on the 8th, apparently. <laughs> all right. That's Ben Allison here talking about Sweden ethnically cleansing their country and Greece hoping to have a coalition government that brings them more left, I guess. And we will see you tomorrow for some more updates on all the things happening in Europe. And we've got hacking and spying and so forth, and we've got Russian war news. Russian Russian acquiring five square inches of territory yeah. <laughs> in one city. Everybody's controversy about it. And today, May 22nd, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.